This is the As Rock Podcast. Thank you for listening again. I'm going to keep at it. I'm just going to keep pushing this bad boy along. And this week we have Dustin Poirier versus Charles Oliveira. And that's why fighting is the absolute best sport. If fighting boxing, fighting MMA, all that is the best sport to follow because it never goes away. There's no offseason. Every week you have something to talk about, a different storyline, a different you know controversy. Something is always there to talk about. And this UFC fight is coming quick. And it's a great matchup. It's the two best lightweights right now. And Dustin Poirier proved it by beating Conor McGregor twice. And the track record that he has and the resume that he has against other guys. And Charles Oliveira, who was, you know, at one point just a winsome, loosome fighter and now is, you know, the, the guy on top of the lightweight division. And a guy that's, you know, I don't really favor anyone against him. And I know a lot of people favor Dustin Poirier in this fight. Like, uh, it's like it's almost like a, he's just going there to pick up the belts. And I don't get that. I don't. Because if you look at, and maybe that's just you know, looking at what Desaporey's done and just because he's beat names and Charles Oliveira maybe he hasn't beat the names, right? But he's putting on now some hellacious beatings. Like his wins are pretty damn dominant. But how is this fight going to play out? The thing that I think uh, that is happening in the lightweight division is that this, um, this current slate of contenders that we've had for a while now Right, and even though Michael Chandler just entered the picture, he's been around for a while in Bellator. I think they're about to start disappearing. This happens in weight classes. I, I say this all the time that you know weight class, you think it's so you know so much depth, and then all of a sudden there's, there's suddenly no one's there anymore. Right, Michael Chandler um, is coming off two losses now, right, and two clear losses. Uh, Justin Gaethje, who looked very sharp against Tony Ferguson. Look pretty sharp against uh, Khabib. When you watch that fight again, I don't know if people remember how that fight really looked. He, he did some good stuff in it. But against Michael Chandler, it looked like it was going back to Justin Gaethje. Looked a little bit slower, maybe a little bit um, not as sharp as he was against the previous fights, in the previous fights. Dustin Poirier, who, you know, we can't ignore the... Did he once war with Hooker, right? You can't ignore that, right? Especially how Hooker's looked in his past performances. You can't ignore that that, that happened. You can't ignore some of the losses he had, but and then he fought Conor McGregor, and then he knocks out Conor McGregor. But the first round, he kind of struggled in the first fight, right? He didn't look that sharp, and then he puts the pressure on, and all credit turns Conor McGregor's leg off, so damn durable. And then the second fight, you know, Conor McGregor goes and applies more pressure. It looks like Conor McGregor is trying to convince himself, trying to get himself back to where he was, and Dustin Poirier starts putting it on. And it looks like Dustin Poirier going in Dustin Poirier's direction in that fight. Conor McGregor breaks his leg. So there's no definitive really ending. Now, we all walk away thinking, that, you know, like if uh, Desipori won that fight, and that's okay. I mean, technically he did, right? But we don't. We never really saw the definitive ending, right? There wasn't an ending that you could say, that that's what happened, and Desipori was a better man that night, 100%. It looked like it was heading in that direction, but we didn't have that. So everyone's kind of treating it like if we did, but we didn't. Now, Oliveira was hurt in the Chandler fight, and I guess what I'm getting at here is that although I think these might be the two best lightweights of the you know of their era right now that are still around, I don't know if they're the two best lightweights you know much after this fight. I think that whoever wins this fight pro- will probably lose it if he has to fight a guy like Islam. I, I think that he he would probably take it from him, and the whole new branch of contenders that are coming up. I think that the, this these guys these names. Are gonna disappear, and we're gonna 
say, okay, look at where the, the weight division that had so much death. Now it's just full of new names and we're not sure who, you know, that we know maybe Islam is the top guy, but you know, who's he going to fight at this point? I think we could begin there, but I think this is a great way to end it. If that's, if this is the end of it, this is a great fight to end it in, end it with. And how do I see it playing out is I think Charles Oliveira for, you know, every, I posted a list where I talk about this way too often now. I post it way too often on Twitter, but the top, the top boxers in UFC, right? And Desipori didn't make the list, and people are just like always. Every time I post, are just like, "How could you snub the diamond? How can you snub Dustin Poirier?" It, to me, it's, there's obvious answers, right? His um his defense is horrible, right? He has no boxing defense, no striking defense to speak of. Coming forward, his leg work is extremely sloppy. He'll switch, um, he'll he, he'll miss big. Now, if he gets his feet set and he's able to combo, he's very good. There's spots where he's very good. He also has a decent jab. But a lot of the times, he prevails because he's more durable than the guy that he's fighting. I think the Justin Poirier's really top thing is how durable he is. He can get hurt and still be able to work through it. He can get tired and still be able to work through it. He works through big shots. He take a beating and keep on going. And I think that that durability, though, you have to, you know, at one point that stops. It's not, no, people just stay durable forever. At one point it stops. And you look at Tony Ferguson when he fought Charles Oliveira. It had stopped. It was done. It was no more. We never, we're never going to say that Tony Ferguson could take a shot anymore. Or could take those, you know, and take a beating and come back. He's not. When he takes a beating, it's going to be over in that fight. And Desipori, I think, is going to get outstruck early in this fight. But it's, his durability, which I'm expecting to still be there of some sort, is going to allow him to come forward and get himself into a little bit of a slugfest with Charles Oliveira. And Charles Oliveira, who was very good coming forward, very good when he could keep the distance and pick his spots. But going backwards, he still makes mistakes. He still goes straight back, and he still keeps high, he still keeps straight up when he goes back. And I expect that when Dustin Poirier works through the shots he's going to get, uh, they're going to land on him early. It's going to eventually push Charles Oliveira back. And when he can, and he could get the momentum, he's going to land some big shots at Charles Oliveira. But that's going to set Charles Oliveira into a defense mode, right? And the one thing that both these guys have is a lot of composure. It's because so much experience, you know, so many minutes in the cage, so much experience in big fights, and so much experience in just fighting in general, that the point where either of them gets hurt is where it gets really interesting and I think when Charles Oliveira gets rocked going backwards and he looks to clinch or get a takedown I think that sort of fight gets really interesting is Dustin Poirier going to be able to hold off Charles Oliveira because I think Charles Oliveira has seen the Khabib fight right it's seen that Dustin Poirier even though he dominated Connor when he had when he was on top but in the first fight Connor was you know he got the takedown Connor but Connor was able to kind of get back up and control right it wasn't like you know, it wasn't like what Khabib was on top of him. You know, it looked like that in the second fight. Maybe that was because of the leg injury or Connor. You know, who knows, right? Dustin looked pretty good. But I think that Charles Oliveira has seen that. And I think that if Charles Oliveira can get a hold of him and take him to the ground, I think it could be a long night for Dustin. And I think Charles Oliveira is going to maybe not go in there with that game plan, but I think that he's going to, that's where the fight's going to go in that direction. It's going to force him into that game plan. And I think that might be a real positive for him. And I, although Dustin Poirier, you know, has shown that he could be good on the ground and has some, you know, has good jiu-jitsu training and is a high-level belt. He does give up positions, I mean, and he does try to power out of stuff. 
And I just think with a guy like Charles Oliveira, you can't do that. He's going to be heavy on you. He's going to take up whatever mistake you make. And I think that Dustin Poirier is going to make a lot of mistakes. And I think Charles Oliveira is going to punish him. And just, and Poirier's, you know, durability again is going to get him to survive. But I think we're going to get something similar in the second round. And then Charles Oliveira will get him down and get him to make mistakes and eventually catch the sub in the fight. Like I said, I think Charles Oliveira's stand-up is uh, extremely underrated on a, you know, he's got to pick his shots. He likes to put himself in the position, but he has, because of his composure, he can do that. Now, going backwards, like I said, he's, Poirier's going to be favored in that. It's going to be all about, in fighting, it's a lot about momentum, right? And I'm not talking about, like, momentum as in, like, you're winning this section of the fight, and then this guy wins this section of the fight. I'm talking about momentum of, like, can I get momentum going forward, and can this guy get momentum going forward? And Charles Oliveira wants to keep the momentum going forward. Now, it's not the same way as Poirier where he, like, is exploding at you going forward. No, he just slowly pushes you to where he can keep the distance. And then once he gets the distance, slightly one step in to get the spot, pick a shot, hit you with a shot, leg kick, uppercut, hook, keep the space again, find the distance, then slowly push you back. With Poirier, it's like a rolling stone down a hill he hits you once you fall back he's looking to keep it going he wants to keep putting that pressure and keep the combinations going and that's when he's at his best that's when he's flowing now i think just going backwards is a world of trouble because his defense is so terrible so it's all about who's gonna keep that momentum now just because of durability i think the is gonna push it back and that's where the fight will change and i think the composure right of these two guys is gonna be it's gonna stand out it's gonna be the main thing in this fight of how composed they are in these positions, especially when Charles Oliveira is hurt standing, and then when he puts Desimpori in bad position on the ground, and Desimpori is going to be able to see if he can work his way back up. Because Desimpori needs to fight this; he's going to have to win this fight standing up. It's going to be on his hands, and I think the. Desborough's got to go back to the leg kick, and that's not you know easy thing to say now because oh he had success to go leg. He's going to do it because he's got to keep. Um, Oliver off balance. He's got to get whatever he can to get him going backwards. He's got a jab too. He's got a good jab. He's got to stay consistent with it. He's got to push him back. And when he does hurt him, he can't lose himself. You know what I mean? He can't lose himself going in to allow Charles Oliver to get a hold of him. Because Oliver has a good takedown going backwards. He could drop to his knees and and, and double leg you. He's very tactical with his takedowns. He's not just a jiu-jitsu guy that's like needs to pull you into his guard. He's not that kind of game. He's actually very aggressive, very heavy hips on top. And I expect that to be the success in this fight. I think this is an excellent matchup. I think this reminds me of like Hagler Hearns, that type of era of fighting, like where the two best guys are fighting each other and they're damn good at this point. And the things that they do, they kind of work together. There's no styles make fights. I think this these two styles can make a very interesting fight. I'm going to expect Charles Oliveira to pull this out. And I think his ground game is going to be very dominant in it. I'm going to love seeing the stand to start it off, though. Amazing fight. You know, the UFC ranking system, because there's one. The problem I have with boxing, right, is in, I was just listening to, uh, you know, guys talk about boxing. And, you know, they, they're talking about, you know, like, oh, this guy's a mandatory and he should be the mandatory, right? And, and that sounds right, right? Like, you know, he's a mandatory, top of the rank, he should get a thing. But the problem is, is there's four rankings. So, you know, they're okay with that one. Then you go to another weight division, they were talking about heavyweight, and they were like, well, this guy's a mandatory. And they're like, who cares? He sucks. I don't want to see him. Well, who cares about that fight? And that's, but the, the truth is that sometimes they are. One fight, one mandatory means more than the other. And why does that matter? Why does that happen? Is because there's four ranking systems for four different bouts. So it's not enough talent to have 40 guys ranked. 
differently. And it's not. So you're not getting the number one guy. You're getting the number one guy in that current ranking system. But in the UFC, you're getting the top 10 guys. Now, the UFC controls that ranking system, so there's a little crookedry to that. Or they can decide if the number one fights them, or it could be number four. They decide all that. There's, like I said, there's pros and cons to everything. But this is one of the pros, where you're getting the number one guy and the champ. And I don't really, I think this is really number one guy, and I think this is really the champ. And they're going to fight, and we're going to see who the best is of this. Now, I don't expect, you know, Charles Oliveira versus Islam, to me, is the most interesting matchup. Because Charles Oliveira, how good he is on his back. I think that's the most interesting matchup they could be, right? I think if uh, Dustin goes, I think Islam's going to, will smoke him. But I think, you know... Of this era of, of fighters, right, that grew up like the Poirier, Gaethje's, Chandler's, um, Charles Oliveira, who, you know, was always there with them, but was never considered a contender like the rest of them were, right? You had the Connors, um, who am I missing, um, Eddie Alvarez, all these guys, it's probably going to come to an end, this fight, but this is a great fight to end it, end that era of fighting. Next uh, big fight, and we're going to keep in boxing the 135 um, lightweight division. And, you know, it's been in some damn good matchups, right? Uh, some interesting storylines. This is, to me, this division has really been the, the strong point to end the year. It kind of makes sense, right? Because it's, of all divisions, probably has the most, it for sure has the most depth, I would say. It has the most depth in the division. It, to me, it's this in 122, have the most depth in their divisions. And we were talking about, you know, who's the best. And they had the four kings, right? And they had Ryan Garcia, Devin Haney, Tank Davis, and Tiafimo. And they did that while Lomachenko was still fighting. And Loma is, he's a controversial subject. He's, um, I'm trying to think of the correct word here. I, I don't know, I can't, I'm not, it's not coming to my head right now, but he, he's just controversial. If you bring up Loma, there, there's one side of it. And what boxing is, and I'm, I catch it as I'm on boxing Twitter and I see people talk about boxing, it's just basically two sides always. There's one extreme, the other way, and it's one extreme, the other way. I'm going to try to play down the middle. I think Loma is as good skill-wise as advertised. I, I do, and I, I know people don't want to hear that, and I guess they get frustrated because, you know, they compare him to Ali or Floyd Mayweather. Resume-wise, he doesn't have that. And he probably never is going to have that. Especially because of his age and the weight class. He just, it doesn't seem like he's going to get the fights to prove that. But I think that he, if he did get the fights, he probably definitely would prove it. That's fine. Now, just skill-wise, the eye test, you can't take it away from him. They're not, they're, no one is playing make-believe. You know, it's not make-believe what you're seeing. The guy is dominant. And he's dominant doing a lot of things. And he can literally do everything in the ring. Important thing to remember what's really important in boxing is ranges, right? There's three ranges. There's long range, mid range, and close range. He's excellent at all of them. Another thing with his legs, if you think of Khabib, right? If you're an MMA fan, you think of Khabib. Well, Khabib was so dominant with the takedown. And why he has so much control is because his legs are like arms. And his legs would be doing something while his arms would be doing something else. And his legs would be wrapping you up so you couldn't get the space in your legs to pull a guard or you know, to posture up or to create a little distance from him because his legs were controlling. Could be, I mean, uh, Lomachenko does this standing up. He's crawling with his legs. So his legs are doing something that his arms are doing. They're, they're not, you know, not connected with his arms. It's, he moves, he's moving his legs to find a distance. He creates movements and angles to find uh, an opening for his shots. He works that with his legs. Now, is does he get hit? Yes, he does because he stays in range because he truly believes on 
everything he's doing and, and the little circles that he can create, right? To confuse you, to create a, uh, to put himself out of range as in, not in out of range as far away from you, but not in the correct angle for you to land on him. And how balanced he is. There are things that he's doing that are, are truly amazing. And not I'm you know, I haven't really seen from many other guys. That's just the case of it. And, you know, you can hate on him all you want, and I think that some of the bit there are race issues in boxing, there's no doubt about it. And some guys feel like that they are favoring him because he's white or Eastern European. And that's gonna be in every sport there's always gonna be this storyline. I'm just gonna talk about the skill point of what he's doing, and it's real, it's not fake. What he's doing skill-wise is a real thing. And he, to me, if we're talking about performances and who looks consistently, who I know I'm getting and what performance I'm going to get, it's Lomachenko. I know what performance I'm going to get. I know what I'm going to get, what I'm going to see, what skill he's going to bring. Sometimes other guys look shaky. You know, I was just talking about Devin Haney. Looks shaky at the end of fights. It does. And Javante Tank Davis is hittable. And moving backwards, he's not as effective as he is going forward. Now, going forward, he's a problem. Going forward, he's one of the best fighters in the world. But sometimes in a fight and against really good guys, you're going to have to prove something else. They're not, maybe not going to let you do your best thing. I think Lomachenko could do everything in the ring. And I think that he's fighting, to me, tougher competition than Isak Cruz. I don't think that Richard Comey is as good as Jojo Diaz. I don't think that. I won't lie to you. I don't think he's a good as a... Uh, as... Um, Isak Cruz. But before Cambosos beat Tiafimo, I thought Richard Coleman was a was a better fighter than him. Now I told you I don't know how good Cambosos is. I don't know what we saw. It's gonna need to be proven over time how really good he is. That, that was a great performance, but I don't know if he consists consistently be that good. Against different styles. We're gonna see. I think Richard Comey, before all this had said and done, was better than most of those fighters besides Jojo Diaz. As far as the opponents of the top 135 guys. And I think Lomachenko is going to dispatch of him. And what I'm curious is. Teofimo landed a first round knockout over Richard Coleman. Now I doubt that Lomachenko will be able to match that. He just doesn't have that kind of power. It's not the way his power works. At this weight class especially. But if he's able to dispatch him. Like he did to Nakatani in his last fight. Right. And he's going to be able to walk Richard Coleman into shots. And he's going to eliminate the range that Richard Comey needs because Richard Comey is at his best when he could get range on his power. He's got a very wide stance. He wants to jab you. He wants to get you stuck and hit you with a big right hand. And if the right hand lands and doesn't do the job, he's going to come with a big left hook. And I know that Lomachenko's game plan is going to be to eliminate that range and just stay in on him. And if you could dispatch him like that and do it over, you know, nine rounds and maybe get a stoppage because maybe he can walk him into shots because that's what Lomachenko does to get his power. He walks you into shots because when you're in front of, when he's in front of you, he will take a step out to your right and then you'll turn into a shot because he's so balanced. So if can Lomachenko have a more impressive performance without getting, you know, a first round knockout with going the fight going 10 rounds? I think it's possible. If you see what he did with Nakatani, it's like a man on a mission and I think that He's looking to prove that, hey, listen, I'm still here. We tried to take it from me, right? And I lost Tiafimo, fair and square. And then we just said, oh, he's done. He's going to lose his fight from now on. I heard people saying wild, wild things about him. And it's just like, hey, we can't deny what we're seeing. 
know, whether you feel a certain way about it or whatever, you can't deny what you're saying. Lomachenko is the real deal. And I think that we're going to see more of that against Richard Comey. And they're going to, people are going to say that, oh, Richard Comey was overrated or he was washed at this point. That's fine, but he's better than Isaac Cruz. That's what we just have to be honest with it. He's better than Isaac Cruz. I think Lomachenko is um, at the at the end of this week. I think we're gonna have a conversation about is he the still the best one best best one thirty five fighter. Now, should he get Camposos next? I, a lot of people are saying they have the mandatory. I've heard seven people say they have the, the mandatory next against Camposos. If everybody has a mandatory, then nobody has a mandatory. And everybody said they want to go to Australia. And no one really is going to go to Australia. It's all saying that because they know that the government's never going to allow it because they're on lockdown. So, there's a lot of talk about who's getting... I, I don't... You know, it didn't look like that's a fight that makes sense for Cambosos, right? Him and Lomachenko. I think Cambosos, Devin Haney makes a lot more sense. I would love Tank versus um, Lomachenko. I think that those guys are... The fight that just really makes sense in 135. I think that the winner of that would truly be the king at 135. And they could fight the winner of Devin Haney Cambosos. Or they could fight, you know, Ryan Garcia and whoever the hell he fights the winner of that. And I'm not saying that Lomachenko, you know, for sure beats Tank. I don't know that because Tank hits so hard. And if he's able to come forward against Lomachenko, it's going to be tough for Lomachenko to avoid a big shot all night from him. And I don't know that. I don't think Lomachenko would be able to take a flush shot, a flush shot from Tank going forward. I don't know that. I don't think he could. But if Lomachenko, how skilled he is, is able to push Tank back, that fight switches widely in his favor. It's all about styles and momentum and ranges in this fight, and I'd love to see that fight. I think Loma's performance this weekend is about to be. I think Comey's like literally built for him to look great against. And he's a tough guy. And Lomachenko's consistently done this where he beats tough guys and makes it look easy. And a lot, of, a lot of these other guys are not making it look easy. Sometimes they're somewhat struggling in these performances. Another fight I want to talk about, um, and there's boxing is stacked this weekend. Um, like four cards, uh, UFC pay per view. It's 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 a you know like I said Saturday is is not my girl's favorite day of the of the week. I'll tell you that right now. And we have a a UFC undercard that I want to talk about. And this it's you know they have Julian Pena versus Amanda Nunez or Amanda Nunez versus Julian Pena. I guess you know she's the champ. And you know the, I the UFC brought women's fighting to you know where it is. It it's a, was a big room of growth and I love it and. You had some amazing fighters coming out of there, but the talent and the depth of it, it's slipping. And Julian Pena is not skilled enough at anything, really, to give Amanda Nunez a real threat. Now, it would take Amanda Nunez to maybe show some age, right, or not be taking it as serious. But I just, even in that, right, even if that, say it's a competitive fight and Julian Pena is able to land some shots, she would have to get the fight to the ground, right? And she, if she's able to land shots, were they going to start trading? Because Julian Pena is not enough to completely avoid shots and they get in some kind of point where they're trading Nunez is going to knock her out cold still like I said uh, Julian Pena has to fight a perfect fight all 12 rounds uh, all 5 rounds Nunez just has to be perfect for 1 second 
I don't I don't see that as you know could it get interesting yes but it would be mostly because of Emmanuel Nunez's age or focus that's really it and that's I don't like saying that and I, I very rarely will say something like that because it, I feel like it takes away from the fighter but it's just the truth of it for what I'm seeing skill wise fight that I mentioned in is Carl France versus Cody uh, Garbrandt who Cody Garbrandt is dropping down uh probably hoping to get a title shot if he could win this fight and uh Carl France who's ranked number five and I'm, I was kind of surprised he was ranked that high after watching him because he's you know he's got some skill but he's also has some performance you know he's I think he's like one loss one loss in the last four and you know he's a little bit his stand-up he, he wants to stand up but he's he's pretty predictable like it's a it's very basic it, it really shouldn't be anything that Cody Garbrandt is um confused by seeing it's 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 a really basic style and he looks to move find his range and he's really like a one-two leg kick head kick it's very basic it's a very basic style and i just see the struggle of when he moves backwards and how his defense falls apart and he doesn't react well to punches and cody garbrandt's a guy that is known very well known not reacting well to punches but he's coming down and wait so maybe you know the shots won't won't be as effective on him as they previously were, but they could be very effective. He's cutting so much weight that he just like can't even take a shot. You don't know what you get from Cody Garbrandt. He's at that point of his career where he could be completely washed. But when he is sharp, or you know, if he is truly in shape for this fight, and he is able to take some some of the power, and he's under control, he could be also could be very good, and he's very compact very balanced on his legs it's just when he loses himself i think that he could lose himself against Carl france and still not be made to be paid for it i think i'm gonna take cody carbrand in this fight and i think it really will set up a title shot for him because the division is not a lot of depth and not a lot of names and cody carbrand you put him in for a title shot it's gonna stand out on a pay-per-view I think he as soon as he gets Carl France moving backwards, he's gonna land, and and I don't think Carl France reacts well, and I think that he gets like flustered when people land, and I think Cody Garbrandt's gonna be able to combination off him. Thing to point out, the I want to point out Cody Garbrandt, and he got a lot of credit for you know when he dipped his head and knocked out. Um, I can't think of the fighter right now he did that to, but he got a lot of credit for that. And honestly, he's guessing, and when he moves his head, he he doesn't have a good feel on where you're punching. He's just guessing where he moves his head. That's not good. That's not good head movement. Usually the guys are the best at defensively moving their head. They have a good feel where your shot's coming. They can read it from your body motions, or they could just read it when you throw it. They're fast enough, and their eyes are good enough to, and reflexes are good enough to move away. He's not doing that. He's just guessing. If you're if you're Carl France, you got to get him doing that. You want him moving his head and guessing like that. So he walks into a shot. He could walk into something up the middle. If you're throwing uppercuts, you're throwing an up kick up the middle, he dips down to get into those shots. He is guessing. I don't know if that has to do with the lack of, you know, uh, knowledge in, fight, in, in his uh, defense or, you know, it's just, he doesn't have the reflex anymore and he kind of has to do that. He kind of has to guess. If you're Carl French, you kind of want to make this fight a little stagnant at first. And you want to get Cody Garbrandt to start rebuilding his defensive flaws. And one of the ones is get him moving his head. Because, like I said, up the middle is going to be a problem for him. He did. He, you know, he just makes a lot of mistakes. It's just a lot of guessing. I'll take Cody Garbrandt. I think he's going to get a stoppage. I'll say second round, second round TKO. Another fight I want to talk about, it's also on the undercard. 
of uh, Katie Taylor is uh, Connor Ben versus Chris Algieri. And Connor Ben made my list of dark horses of this year uh, in their weight division. And I think Connor Ben, a lot of people, you know, he's the son of a fighter, so that's already a bad rep. But, you know, also when he came in, he very limited amateur, so he had to work, work through some things. And he looked really rough around the edges. It's starting to tighten up. And I think that people already have, you know, first impressions or a certain thing. That you, it's hard to shake, right? It's hard to shake what you originally thought of him. But he, from what I'm seeing, Conor Ben's improving. And he looks pretty decent. Now, how high is his ceiling? Maybe not that high. But what his floor could have been, he's he's far from that. And he's fighting Chris Algieri. And I think this is, you know, it's a, it's a name. It's a guy that's not really been that busy lately. But I, I guess it's a, you know, they're trying to bring Conor Ben along. They can't seem to get the name to really push him over as the, a name that they can beat. But, you know, a fading star, like a, who they want is uh, uh, Broner, which that would be perfect. That's literally a perfect fight for him. And this is not necessarily a bad fight for Broner either way. If he could get a decent payday, it's maybe a winnable fight. But they got Chris Algieri. And Chris Algieri, what he's going to bring to the table, what Chris Algieri is known for, right, is moving around the ring. He's known for his legs that he can move around and you're going to chase him the whole night. But the thing about Chris Algieri is he doesn't really do that anymore. And he hasn't done it in a while. In the recent fight, he's a little bit more aggressive. I expect him to be defensively sound, but he's going to be somewhat aggressive in this fight. And I think that early on in this fight... Connor Ben, who comes out with aggression, comes out with a lot behind his punches, getting more compact with his punches, uh, adding a slightly more variety of his punches. I expect him to, you know, win the early rounds, but I think it could be a little bit back and forth, right? I think that the power and the speed of the shots, I think, will keep Chris Jerry at home for the most part. But I don't expect him a lot of movement. I think that he'll move at times and then look to set up to work. Now, Chris Algieri stumbles in when he offensively comes forward, and that's a big flaw. And I think that's why it has kept him from, you know, being able to compete with top-level talent. That's a huge flaw. He stumbles in. He marches in. Um, I think that's something, you know, when you start off in kickboxing, just some of those natural things you do with your legs, it's hard to shake. And I don't think he's ever really been able to shake it. Now, going backwards, he's good, but it's a very limited offense going backwards as well. He doesn't have a great offense, like, moving on his back foot. He's kind of just like, I'll jab you and keep a distance. Like I said, though, he doesn't really move that much. So I expect him to be tight with his guard, and I expect Conor Ben to keep working because he's aggressive, and he don't mind getting hit. And he's going to score, and I think they... You know, he's getting sharper. If he uses his jab the way he's been, I think he can keep Algeria home and he's going to be able to combo and flurry off Algeria's gloves. I think Algeria's crafty enough to survive in this fight and he's crafty enough to, you know, land here and there. But I think it's going to be a wide margin, unanimous, unanimous decision victory for Conor Ben. It's interesting where they go here from, for, with Conor Ben. You know, there's some fighters that are just in interesting spots. Like Tank Davis, I said... Where, where are they going to go? Where are they going to match them up with, right? And it seems like they're dealing within their own pool of fighters. Well, Conor Ben doesn't seem like they can bring, you know, having a hard time getting anyone to come along to fight him. Um, you know, usually the ones that match him can work with is like Golden Boy. Maybe they can uh, Blair the Flare, like, would be an interesting matchup. I think that's actually a pretty damn good matchup off the top of my head. But it'll be interesting how they bring Conor Ben along I think he has some skills. I think he could be, you know, a little bit of a dangerous fighter. 
I expect him to win this fight, and let's see where he go. They go with uh, from there. It's gonna be a good night fight. You got the Vols also fighting. I don't even know what channel that's on. I don't know if they're showing that on DAZN. I can. I, I when I saw it, it was on the ESPN thing. They didn't have a, you know, exactly where they're showing that out. Um, it's just a good night fight. And there's some good fights, and I, like I said, the Dustin Poirier fight's the most interesting one to me. But Lomachenko to me can win this fight, and I think we're just gonna talk about it on Monday and be like. Or Sunday and be like, is he the best guy at 135? And did we try to bury him? And that was too soon. Thank you guys for listening. This has been the S Rock Podcast.